and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who loves it when you call him Big Papa. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing all right, Kieran. That's that's a little weird, but doing good. <laughs> well, well, first of all, let's let's start out with uh, like a how you doing, man. You know, I, one of the best things I ever heard that like just kind of made me think talk about like we talk about the grind of a baseball season a lot right and the the perfect example of that is it's the only sport to my knowledge that the people covering it take vacations during the season <laughs> like that if that doesn't you know speak volumes I, I don't really know what does so you know how, how's it been how, how have you been how's how's papa Papa Stavenhagen, how's he doing? <laughs> Papa. Yeah, as I as I said last week, my dad uh, came up to Detroit. First time he's ever been up here this week. So I was technically off the past uh, past past week. And, you know, it's been good. It's been busy, but got to play a lot of golf. Got to, uh, we had a lot of plans, you know, but uh, definitely a little bit of a mental break from the grind of a baseball season and watching the Detroit Tigers every night. So, it, yeah, I think it was needed, and, and now we'll gear back up here for this last month or so of the season. Well, okay, as as things tend to happen, you were off, the news wasn't off, uh, even if we just take away the things that happened in games this week. No, that caused me a lot of stress <laughs> one, one morning this week. <laughs> well, let's start out with uh, the broader baseball news, which was the – competition committee is that what they call it uh there's good they passed some rule changes as merle is uh moving around the studio so if you hear the pitter patter that's what that is we're gonna have larger bases we're gonna have a pitch clock and sort of like some subtext to that and we're not gonna have the shift anymore and that's gonna go into effect next season um I'll give my spiel and I'll kind of ask how, how, how you feel about this. I'm in a weird place where I don't like rule changes like these. Like, I just think, let the game be the game. However, I agree with what they're doing, if that makes sense. Because as much as I love baseball, and as successful as it is regionally, nationally, there's obviously a problem. And... Merle's now going through a bag of books. And so... <laughs> he's, he's trying to educate himself. Job, exactly. We, we appreciate that. The, the bottom line to me is that there needs to be more action in baseball in order for there to, you know, increase viewership, increase uh, attention, the shifts, and kind of the way the game is taught and practiced negates that so you make certain rule changes not any different than other sports whether it be illegal contact in football whether it be the three second rule in basketball like sports manipulate the game or leagues manipulate the game in order to make the games more exciting so it's no different than that i believe it was the right move because you need to, especially like the larger basis thing, that's probably going to get overlooked, but that could be a huge factor. You need to have more action between the pitches. You can't have this stalling out. Like I remember years ago, 
back when soccer was trying to kind of like kick in the American audience, like, you know, kick through the door. Uh, my dad said, never really a big soccer fan, but my dad said, you know, baseball is exciting because, you know, anything can happen on any pitch. And that is true. But again, the way the game is played now, that the, that action is very infrequent. And so I, I think this was a good thing for Major League Baseball. I don't necessarily like that it had to happen, but I get it. And I think it will be a net positive overall for the sport. Even if like there's like a purist element to me that says like is this really necessary to regulate the the pitch to pitch so much? So that's kind of like my spiel, Cody. How do you kind of feel about this stuff? Yeah, I think people are far too resistant to rule changes. Uh, I think people are too resistant to change, probably in most aspects of life, but especially in the traditionalist sport of baseball, we sit here and we freak out over every rule change and people say, Oh, it's going to kill the game. It's going to take away from the game. When's the last time you heard someone complain about the three batter minimum? I haven't heard it in a long time. Very good point. Uh, back in the day, Oh, the DH was going to ruin the sport and then it became part of the sport. And then, Oh, we're going to have a DH in the NL. We're not, have you heard anyone <laughs> this year complain about the double switch? Cause I haven't. Oh, there's no double switch. There's going to be no strategy. No one cares. Everyone's already forgotten about it. And guess what? No one cares about the double switch. Um, I think, generally speaking, these changes are going to be good for the sport. I think the pitch clock is the big one um, that I'm on board with. And I think it's, you know, potentially a game changer. Um, If you haven't been to a minor league game or watched a minor league game uh, where they've been experimenting with it, let me tell you, it is... um, it's a game changer. It's a much faster paced sport. The games are done quicker. Um, I was talking to my dad, you know, he lives in Amarillo, Texas, home of the Amarillo sod poodles and double a affiliate of the diamondbacks. And, you know, he's been to a few games this year and you say, wow, yeah, it makes a difference. It's quicker. And then at the end of the game, you almost feel like you didn't get your money's <laughs> worth. So, uh, watch that become the complaint. The game needs to be longer. Um, but no, I think it's a lot faster paced, uh, games are, you know, well average, well over three hours right now. It wasn't like that in the eighties or even the nineties. Um, the pitch clock is shaving almost a half hour, 20 minutes to 30 minutes off games in the minor leagues. And I think that's absolutely huge. The shift, you know, I've gone back and forth on, I don't love limiting the shift. I think it's just a little gimmicky, but I've come around to it because if that's what the game needs, if that'll lead to more balls in play, more action, and thus more more fans, more popularity for the sport, then I'm okay with it. And then the bigger basis thing, like right now, I feel like, is that even going to make a difference? And then it's like, is this going to, like, seems like kind of a softball thing, but uh, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, they're expanding the bases by what, like three inches on each side or something like that? Um, slightly bigger, but I wonder, you know, how many close plays could that change? There's a thought maybe it'll lead to more stolen bases because, uh, first base will actually be like three inches closer to second base, you know, than, than it normally would be. Um, I, I have no idea if that's actually going to impact the game. It'll be interesting to see on the surface. I view that one as kind of a nothing burger. Well, supposedly that will reduce this is according to MLB it will reduce uh first base or base related injuries by 13 and a half percent so you know that's something wow. that's something 
and to your point, in the average minor league game went from three hours and four minutes to two hours and thirty eight minutes uh, with the uh, with the pitch clock, and I believe that will probably increase a little bit more uh, in in the yeah. big leagues. So, now, I've I've already read comments from players like, "Oh, we don't need this. This is going to throw off our routine. This is going to throw off our rhythm." Um, I guess I don't know what it's like to be out there on the mound in the heat of a major league game, but I think players are going to adjust to this very quickly. Um, there's a time when the shot clock was going to be the death of basketball, you know, it's three point. All right. Yeah, uh, like, it's fine. I will say this cause you know, I, I don't go to all that many games, obviously, especially compared to you. But, uh, when I went to the Tigers Rangers game a couple Sundays ago, aesthetically i like like seeing it in person i was like i was like telling my dad i was like look at this look at this like where you have there's only one guy <laughs> on you know we were in the outfield we were in left center so it's like our right side but you know the left side of the infield and it's not even where a shortstop would normally be it's like you know closer to you know the the center of the field and then all those you know guys in the outfield grass aesthetically i don't like it i'll be honest like aesthetically i don't really like the shift I'm probably more sympathetic to the perils of the left-handed batter because, you know, I was a, I was a lefty uh, growing up, still am, obviously. And and so, like, I, I get that frustration now. I also believe, you know, hit the ball the other way and all that stuff. However, I don't know. I just feel like it, it was kind of needed. I was trying to think, like, would this help the Tigers? And I was like, well, they're probably not good enough for, they don't hit the ball well enough to get all that much of a benefit. But I am curious with AJ Hinch as the manager, one of the smartest men in baseball, I would say, how is this, and especially with the the pitch clock slash the pickoff limit or step off, I should say, limit for pitchers, there's going to be some great implementation of brand new strategy that we've never seen before, and I can't wait for that. I think that's going to be the, one of the more fascinating aspects of these rule changes. I should also note, I kind of feel bad saying this, like on the heels of, uh, of Labor Day, thank a union worker, but I got to say, like the union coming out against this, I was like, what, what I always say, the, the <laughs> Players Association will always come out against anything the owners do. <laughs> Um, which, so I just kind of chuckle at that. It's a little silly in my opinion, like put out a statement about like how, you know, whatever. So no surprise there. The union is against it, but I guess for the contract of the Tigers, if you're, if you're built, one of your building blocks is Riley Green, a left-handed hitter. Who's obviously, you know, not a dead pole guy, but you know, and Spencer Torgelson, someone who's trying to figure it out. Like maybe these things benefit the Tigers in key areas uh, for the rebuild and and pitching wise you just have to have faith in Hinch and, and Fetter that they're going to be able to like I said implement the new strategy I'd like to see more stolen bases I I think that's one of the more exciting plays in baseball and that's one of the things that analytics killed and for good reason not necessarily criticizing it but the stolen base is an awesome play I'd like to see more steals of third you know like so I Get more action. I think it will be better for the youth, you know, get a little bit more content for the TikToks. I think that's what the kids are on these days. I, I, like I said, I think it's a net positive for baseball, 
and I can't wait to see how the Tigers management sort of like works in the new strategies here. Yeah, one thing I'm thinking about, like, are we are we underrating? Like, are there's some left-handed hitters in the league that are st- suddenly just going to start raking? I mean, yeah, teams have shifted against elite left-handed hitters since the days of Ted Williams. Teams played six players on the right side against Ted Williams. And, you know, I think there was a stat like Corey Seager's lost like 35 hits this year because of the shift. Like, that's a pretty massive difference to a guy's batting average. Um, and thus, so money. I wonder, yeah, you know. money. So suddenly now you only got two guys on the infield against some hitters who've been hitting against the shift their entire lives. I think that's super interesting. As far as any teams having an edge. You know, I've already read some stories like, how will this impact the Reds? And like, I think that's stupid. I think all 30 teams are playing with the same rules. I think if anyone will benefit, it's probably teams that have bat to ball skills, maybe teams that aren't all the way bought in on launch angle type hitters. Uh, So the Cleveland Guardians happen to have the best, you know, contact rate in MLB. And I feel like it's going to help them for a team like the Tigers that doesn't walk and strikes out a ton. Uh, That's that's not great. But maybe that gives you even more reason to emphasize bat-to-ball skills as you begin reshaping the roster as you're looking into free agency this offseason. I do think that's a potential long-term change. Some of these guys who haven't been getting paid because they don't have power, like that's something that could eventually start to flip a little bit. Um, and I think I think those are really my my thoughts there. They're like anything. There are going to be some unintended consequences. There are going to be some changes, but at the end of the day, uh, it's going to be all right. And I think I think this will all be good for the sport. This was a parody account, uh, New York Porch Sports. I, I just thought it was funny. A lot so of I, people fall for that. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> Joey Gallo saying, "Quote: If you're not skilled enough to change your approach and hit against a shift, you shouldn't be rewarded." All we've done is help out bad hitters. That was parody. <laughs> I just wanted to read it because I thought it was hilarious. Uh, and that's a guy who I see. Just a quick little side note about Joey Gallo, um, who has done better since he left the pressure of New York, I guess. I want I, I want to be a fly on the wall when his agent negotiates his next contract. And for all these left-handed pull hitters, be like, yeah, yeah, I know it was 218. But think about, you know, I want to get paid for what I'm going to do or what my client's going to do because, you know, with no shift, like, you know, like I know Seager's well, obviously. Be, yeah, they'll be breaking out the specific data here. Here's yeah. what Joey Gallo would have done with no shift. We have every ball he hit and, you know, he would have. <laughs> and, and, and if you're like the, the, the GM or the president or whatever, like how much are you supposed to value that? You know, like that's going to make negotiations kind of weird, right? Or um, like maybe like arbitration for a pitcher if if the team is like hey uh yeah you know we calculated that you would have allowed this many more hits and you know that would have turned this many into this many runs and and so we we're gonna st- you know this is the number that it should be you know that yeah the, the talk about unintended consequences i don't think those things are overly bad but those are kind of the ramifications of what we could expect okay. And it is worth noting, Tigers, I believe, are still top five in terms of how often they shift and run saved through the shift. They've actually, for some reason, had really good data on this, dating even back to 2018. They've been one of the most efficient teams employing the shift. So 
the pitching staff has benefited, you know, in Detroit. Despite as bad as the past few years have been, they probably would have been even worse without the shift. So, um. well, it it's also worth noting that you're not going to be able to compensate for below average infield play like on a player to player basis. So if you're looking at the the long term view of the Tigers, obviously you're anticipating Jace Young, which by the way, shout out to his brother, first career major league at bat last night, hits a home run. So shout out to the young family. Uh, before you probably wouldn't worry about defense as much. I know I've said I don't care about defense and with this team because I just want hitters, but like you know, it is a real thing that you're not going to be able to hide someone's deficiencies, someone's slow footedness, someone's uh, you know inability to feel feel the ball that's not like right underneath them. Like these things are now going to come back into play. You're probably going to have more errors, to be honest, uh, just in general. And so that's a, that again is going to affect like how you construct a roster, right? Yeah, you would think so. Um, which isn't fun to think about with with Chase Young and maybe what his future <laughs> holds. And but even next year, you know, I think Jonathan Scope, of course, is could win a Gold Glove at second base. He's his range isn't the best. He's probably benefited from the shift a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's a great fielder in a million other aspects. Has the best arm I've ever seen from a second baseman. But the Tigers have a decision, like, what in the world do we do with Scope next year? Can he be our starting second baseman? Could he move to third? Is he just a utility guy? Um, that's, like, one of the factors they have to look at. Will his defensive value be the same? I don't know the answer to that question. I think Scope's a really good defensive second baseman, but there is an argument that maybe he won't be as good if the Tigers can't shift. I agree. And, like I said, I think, the, the the cat and mouse game of the the pickoffs and yeah. and the uh, step like or I should say step offs it doesn't matter if you actually make a pickoff attempt but the step offs and if you reach your limit what's that guy on first base gonna do yeah, gonna, is is gonna... he like is he just gonna like walk to <laughs> walk to second base i think that'd be awesome oh yeah like that that'll be interesting to see how that plays out the first time and you're gonna see teams trying to trying to gain an edge like someone maybe as soon as opening day is gonna put a fielder in motion get ready for motion to uh to come to mlb because you have to have infielders on two infielders on each side of second base when the pitcher releases the ball so if i'm the tampa bay rays I'm sending my shortstop running as the pitcher begins his his motion, and I don't know how much ground you can cover that quickly, but, you know, you can kind of still shift if you're willing to risk having a a fielder who's kind of in motion while the the ball is being delivered. I mean, I think spring training might be one of the more interesting spring trainings that you'll attend to see, like, kind of... Yeah, our team's working on stuff like that. Yeah, like, what's what's the drills like? And then even during the games, you know, what's what's the... uh, What's the exper- experimentation, you know, going on? I think that'll be, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Could you move your right fielder up to play like the the fourth infielder, fourth, in, you know, that shallow second yeah. base role, and then scoot your other outfielders over? Well, it's risking a lot, but you could do it. 
technically. You know, in, in adult league softball, there's some interesting shifts that go on. <laughs> I think maybe I think AJ needs to go to the softball fields of, of the greater Detroit yes. area and 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 start scouting. You know, <laughs> finding finding his edge there. I think that would be uh, I think that would be a ton of fun. Uh, another kind of development, Cody, that happened this week while you were uh, enjoying some quality family time is we, you know, it's it's always slow news with a GM search, especially when things are kept close to the vest, like with the Illich Corporation. But Lynn Henning wrote like a Why, piece where he kind of here, here uh, we are again, Lynn Henning, baby, <laughs> can't get rid of him. It, Hey, the man puts out content. I'm going to talk about it, you know. So he put out well, his kind of... Well, that's how people like this get... Look, I know a lot of stuff. I haven't written an article on about it because it's, like, somewhat speculative. You kind of heard this, you kind of heard that. Like, like I don't know that anything in Lynn's article was completely wrong, if we're being honest. Like, I don't think Sam Menzen's going to be the Tigers' next GM. And I like Sam Menzen, but it's just the truth. Um, anyway, Lynn just puts out stuff that's, like, halfway speculation and because he doesn't care then we end up talking about it i think it's ridiculous but whatever <laughs> well so let me tell you why the, the josh burns stuff is real you know josh burns been reported as a as a candidate by lynn by john morosi whose information i uh, value more and i can i guess confirm i haven't written an article about it because it's you know kind of secondhand information sometimes but i've heard a lot of whispers about josh burns in the past few days Josh Burns, for those who don't know, um, works in the Dodgers front office, former GM of both the Diamondbacks and the Padres, hired A.J. Hinch to be manager of the Diamondbacks, employed Hinch as uh, scouting director and assistant GM in San Diego, and the Mets had interest in Burns in their, in, for their GM opening last year, and Burns told them no. Well, I, here's some inside information. I believe there's been some upheaval in Josh Burns' personal life that has him more more willing to move uh, and more interested in running his own team again. Burns actually has a really nice setup. He lives in San Diego, uh, even though he works for the Dodgers. You know, um, That's kind of where he's made his home base. But it sounds like he is open to moving and heavily interested in running his own team. I do believe there's some interest from the Tigers there, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll let you take it here for a second, but Kieran, but obviously that leads to the question, like, is this really an expansive search, or are we just hiring the guy who knows A.J. Hinch the best? Well, yeah, that was going to be my my next sort of, like, tidbit, is that it, there's, how do I kind of best phrase this? Like, I, it's too close? Like, you know, and... and and not necessarily like in terms of their personal relationship, which obviously I have no idea, um, you know, what that is like. But there's there's too many kind of tidbits, tie-ins to, you know, prior organizations. It's not like he passed with flying colors in his other times as GM. Um, I though I guess you know he did draft Max Scherzer and Paul uh, uh, Goldschmidt, um, so credit there, but. I'm not saying I would. I'm against the theory of the hire, but if there were things that I could easily latch onto as concerns, I don't have to like reach very high, you know. And I guess it's also worth mentioning he he did he is another uh, Theo Epstein disciple. Spent some time with the Red Sox, and you know anybody with the Dodgers is gonna have like 
the allure of having worked for for that organization. And I guess that's warranted. Um, and also, when you're not the GM, it's hard for us to gauge like you know what your exact input was and imprint and you know who 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 did you bang the table for or what did you bang the table for in order to get this implemented uh obviously turning down cohen money from the mets you must have been pretty firm in your position uh and but if he's willing to move now that that seems like a good sign and the aj connection to me like, I don't know. I don't want to be, like, overly harsh. Like, I don't want to play the result. So it's like, oh, they 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 were tied together with their time when they failed. So that's going to make me feel good. I know that's unfair, but Is again, like... I don't like, think that's unfair. Well, I, I don't know. I just, I just... I think we just play the result too many times. Like, if they... If there were other factors that we don't understand, or if there was like 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 one of the defenses was you know he was with teams with low payrolls, um, so you know how much of a factor is that? I don't know, but these are things that during the interview process and the betting process that you know need to come to light. You know, not necessarily for public consumption, but need to come to light. But if there was if there was a way for me to be contrarian, it wouldn't. I wouldn't have to try very hard. Be like, "Oh, cool! They knew each other during the low points of both of their professional careers." <laughs> right. you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna come right out. Like, I have some concerns about this, and I think Josh Burns is probably a smart guy. He's very well regarded in the scouting community. His draft record um, in both Arizona and San Diego is pretty strong, and he's been one of the architects of the Dodgers player development system. So, on paper. Very qualified, I'm sure he's very knowledgeable, very bright, capable of being a GM. Uh, at the same time, yeah, we know that because he's already been the GM twice. And he was fired twice. And he worked with A.J. Hinch twice, not just once. Arizona, low payroll. You know, it was A.J.'s first time as a manager. He was thrown in mid-season, this veteran clubhouse. Like, okay, maybe that didn't go right. So let's run it back in San Diego. They ran it back in San Diego. Didn't work. And now here we are, supposed to be a wide open GM search. Tigers are going to cast a wide net. Who's this person who emerges as as a front runner? Oh, the guy who gave AJ Hinge his first managing job. The guy who AJ Hinge has worked for twice. The, okay, so this leads to a million other questions. What we talked about before: who's actually running this search? The idea that AJ doesn't have his hands on it is like not true. Um, and then, I don't know, we talk, look, we talk about diversity and equity and inclusion and who's getting opportunities yes. like these. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, part of the problem there is Josh Burns just gets to be a GM for a third time and someone else doesn't get the opportunity. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm not in on these interviews. I don't know a lot of these candidates personally. So I'm sure Josh Burns, again, smart guy, qualified, might just go on to be a fine general manager I'm not saying it would be a poor hire, but I think there are some concerns. I think you would want a GM with a little more separation from your manager, someone who can view your manager objectively. You definitely want a close working relationship there. But it was, I'll just say, AJ Hinch told me I don't need a friend as general manager. He told me that. And if you hire Josh Burns, it seems like you're hiring a friend as a general manager. Uh, I think that just comes with too many concerns, and there are a lot of bright minds out there. 
Do you want GM experience? Like there is a benefit toward that, but if you're only hiring people with experience, then you're recycling the same five or six guys. I don't think that's ultimately productive for the Tigers or for the sport at large. Well, okay, let me, you've convinced me to be more firm. I am just like not interested in anyone getting their third crack in this situation at being a GM. Like, like maybe like, and I, I, I guess I should say not necessarily third GM job, but like third crack at being a successful GM. Like that just doesn't like appeal to me. You know, this is the GM position for the Detroit Tigers in this really weird, and we talk about it all the time, this really weird status that the franchise is in is not really a time to, let's just see if this guy can do it, even though we've seen that he can't. Like this is, you either need someone with some fresh blood, fresh ideas, or like, like if you're asking me, would I rather have Burns or would I rather have John Daniels? And the same thing with John Daniels with it being like his, you know, guy just recently fired or understand all that. But like, who would I rather have? Someone who built a back-to-back World Series team or someone who was behind the scenes on one of the final organizations and when he was in charge left you wanting, you know, but it just, it just to me, like it just doesn't, it, it doesn't get me going to think, okay, yeah. In this instance, in this weird time that the Tigers are in, his third crack at it is going to be the one that, like, is successful. And maybe part of that is unfair or overly harsh, but, like, this is this is the business, all right? Like, I just think I'm just not that interested. And also, like, you know, the San Diego-LA thing, he's now willing to move. Like, that, that to me just, I don't know, that just seems like extracurriculars that, like, aren't also kind of making me hunky-dory about the idea. I guess for the sake of fairness, we should also say the other name, you mentioned Sam Menzen, who uh, I love Lynn's, Lynn's phrasing in here is just like classic, like old journalists where it's like, I can say things without saying things. Uh, enjoy, he enjoys great favor with AJ Hinch. Uh, and obviously he's been with the Tigers for uh, more than a decade. Matt Slater was the other name put in here. He is assistant to the... I love these titles, dude. Assistant to the general manager, player procurement. (laughs) Uh, For the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Basically, he just has worked in every aspect of baseball, and he has business and law degrees. Um, I guess in fairness to him, I don't know... I'm sure he's a bright guy or whatever. I'm just laying stuff on the line here. Matt Slater, I've had multiple people tell me, probably doesn't really profile as a number one, probably more of a number two, just the type of mold, his personality. And I I do think the Tigers have probably talked to him. Um, I don't know that for a fact. I think Matt Slater has really worked to make himself a candidate. Um, he has a, a wife who's from Michigan, a child who attends mm. the University of Michigan, so there's some personal ties. He's been in the game a long time. I'm sure he would like to be a GM. Um, I don't know how serious that interest is there. I know there has been kind of a push from his camp to get his name out there. So uh, I'm a little skeptical on that one. I think uh, Dana Brown with the Braves remains a candidate. They're, they're uh, head of scouting. That's someone I would really take a long look at. I haven't heard much on Randy Flores since he was floated to me as someone the Tigers were were interested in, the Cardinals scouting director. That's another guy. I don't know if 
something went wrong there, if there wasn't mutual interest, uh, I would look at Brown and Flores over over some of these other names we've talked about here today. And Sam Minzen, again, I think great in his current role, still has a very bright future in the game. He's kind of in an unfortunate spot where he was an assistant GM to Alavila, giving the state of this franchise. It's just a tough sell to hire an Avila assistant, even if he, I mean, Sam's in his early 30s. I'm sure he has very different ideas about the game than Alavila. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, I, I think it's a long shot for him to actually be that guy. Um, if you're going to hire internally again, like, are we overthinking this? Or if AJ Hinch is going to have all this power and all this say, why not just make him the GM? Again, I don't, I don't have any indication. I don't think that's going to happen. But like, that's another thing to think about when we start talking about some of these names who uh, are, are already this close to the manager. Yeah, the, the Menzen aspect to me reminds me of um, when the Lions fired Matt Millen and then they promoted Martin uh, Mayhew to be the GM. And it was one of those things where it's like this guy, like, no, 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 he's not like a Millen disciple. He was, He's brilliant. He's this, he's that. And to his credit, like, you know, brought a team that was 0-16 in the playoffs in a couple of years. So, uh, you know, there was some successful run there for Martin actually met him at Oklahoma State at, pro, at uh, oh, one of the OSU right. Pro Days when uh, Justin Gilbert, they were thinking about just drafting him. Thank God they didn't. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So, uh, again, one of this, a lot of this stuff is like, is this fair to lump in? Probably not, but that's just how we kind of have to do it. It, I'm just, an internal hire I don't think is going to play well at all. And it has nothing to do with Sam specifically, but I, I just it's hard for me to think that that's going to like, make the fan base be like, oh, I think I need to get my season tickets now, you know, which I guess a GM, maybe you wouldn't necessarily do that anyway, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't, it's not I don't think the Josh interest. Burns is going to be a big public win either. I mean, here we are talking about it, not sold on it. If we are not into it, then probably the casual fan is going to look mm-hmm. at it and be like, oh, so AJ just hired this dude who hired him back in the day. Like, even though he's a, he's yeah. a Dodgers guy. And again, I think Burns is a qualified, smart dude on paper. I don't, I don't think that anyone's getting too fired up about that, though. That's true. What do you think about the other big part of, of the Lynn story, and he has tweeted this out a couple times, is that they're looking to make the hire this month. Do you, How do you feel about the timeline part of it in general? Like, is it something that, like, you got your guy, go ahead, go move, implement, hire, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or are they better off waiting until mid-October, November? Like, I don't you know what the theory of yeah, that. It's a, that, that. That's a tough one. I think if you really got your guy, it's good to get moving. I think the question is, again, if you're running an expansive search, you know, then you kind of got to consider all options. Is the best candidate available right now? Or could you hire Brian Cashman in later this fall? <laughs> yeah. I think there's a pretty... Remember when the Tigers signed a shortstop before the lockout? They signed Javi Baez. Mm-hmm. You know what could have happened if they just waited? They might have been able to have Carlos Correa. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I get the rationale for both sides. Um, I don't know that it seems like... A super strong candidate has emerged. It seems like Burns is kind of becoming the front runner here in 
I wonder if some other names uh, would would arise if you wait a little bit longer. I don't know. I'm, I know a lot of Boston people wouldn't be too upset if one Time bloom, bloom yeah. uh, wasn't uh, running their team anymore. Yeah, it's. I don't know. That's a that's a tough one where he hasn't been super loved in Boston. It seems like he's had a plan, but they've been trying to be under the luxury tax and blah blah blah. Heim Bloom's really smart, raised front office disciple. Uh, I could still get fired up about him running the Tigers. So, I don't know. All right, Cody. Well, in honor of your father visiting Detroit, I was trying to think of a fun, some fun little content for the listeners and, and try to tie it into this you know, little family you know, trip. I guess, obviously, you didn't take the trip. But, you know, family time, your dad coming up. And I was like, I'm watching... House of Dragons or House of the Dragon or, you know, which, whichever the correct title is. And it got me, you know, Daenerys, Mother of Dragons. I was like, Detroit Tigers player, father of X. It's silly. You could also, it's it's sort of like the same, I guess the best way I could also explain it is like person, patron, saint of blah. It's kind of the same concept. So uh, we'll see if, we'll see if this sticks. Maybe people won't like it, but I don't know. I had some fun kind of putting it together. Um... We'll start out with, we talked about him a lot here on this podcast, A.J. Hinch. A.J. Hinch is the father of dodging the Twitter mob. Because, as we've discussed, he does not get any blame. And there's been some pushback, but there's been some pushbacks, even on Twitter a little bit, of being like, when do we get to criticize A.J. Hinch again? Um, And he's still kind of, he could have been also father of the honeymoon. Because he, he still kind of is in the honeymoon phase, you know? So I just thought, you know, A.J. Hinch, father of dodging the mob. Uh, how, how do, what do you think about that? I think it's interesting, like, people always want someone to blame, right? And a large reason A.J. avoided the Twitter mob this year is because Alavila. Well, Alavila is now fired, and you can see things kind mm-hmm. of starting to turn to A.J. a little bit. And again, even internally... There are Tigers employees who I've heard say, well, why, why doesn't AJ ever get criticized? Um, I, I, I see, again, both sides of it here. I know no one wants to hear that. AJ is not at all blameless. You know, this team has not performed. It started off slow. There have been a ton of injuries, but it never got better. Seems like the team has been checked out for a long time now. Um, you know, AJ will never admit it, but I, I wonder if there's a big part of him, like, just trying to get through the year and get to next year and run it back with a, a different cast of guys. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything. His on-field managing is fine. For some reason, as we've talked about all year, that magic touch just hasn't been there. So many guys have underperformed. You haven't really gotten breakout performances from anyone. Um, he's culpable in all this, and he signed off on most of these offseason moves as well. So it's it's fair to point those things out and say, hey, AJ's not blameless. At the same time, I don't think Twitter needs to be taking its pitchforks to AJ Hinge. In fact, I would still suggest that is the wrong thing to do because if there's anyone capable of fixing this organization, at least in terms of people who are already in-house, it's him. Um, I said that after just kind of knocking the idea of AJ, you know, bringing in Josh Burns. But still... <laughs> 
But, uh, like, that's where I land on it. Like, we got to be real and objective and say, hey, AJ is not blameless in this. He clearly has not done a good of, as a job of, uh, of managing as he did last year. At the same time, like, doesn't always have to be, you know, fire and brimstone to someone on Twitter. Yeah, I agree. He's the 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 boost that came with his first season is long gone. And and now you have to now he and the team, obviously organization as a whole, has to kind of move into the next phase. And you know, it's so it seems like such like an obvious thing to say, but yes, the manager's partially responsible for the win loss record. Like that that's <laughs> not really a criticism that's literally how, how it goes so uh chris fetter i said he's the father of enhancing arms pretty self-explanatory uh if you want to talk about things that could ways it could be worse like there has been a lot of uh, and we'll get to a couple of them there's been a lot of guys who have stepped up and i would probably say like steadied steadied the the rotation steady, the bullpen steady, just having a steady presence out there on the mound when there's been chaos surrounding a the whole team and b the pitching staff. Uh, so you know it, it's it feels weird to like kind of praise the pitching coach again on a team with such a record, but I I, I think in fairness he he deserves that. Um, yeah, the honeymoon is still going for Chris Fetter. Yeah. For sure. yeah. Yeah, that is definitely true. Uh, Riley Green, he is the father of all hope, because <laughs> because if man, if he don't pan out, you know we're we're gonna feel like uh, we're gonna feel like we were in like a relationship for like five years, and then just for it to you know dissipate on some BS where it's like. What was I even doing for five years? Like, like if 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 Rally Green doesn't pan out, we're gonna be like, what was the? Why did we go through this? Why? Like, it's one of those things where I almost think like if he doesn't work out, I don't know if Tigers fans will ever like fall in love with a prospect again. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not wrong. Um... Look, Riley Green, uh, still impressed if he has a little bit of, of ups and downs here in his first big league year, but just, like, continues, like, scouts love the guy. Like, he's, which, again, I don't know, but that leads to more hype, more hope, more mm-hmm. expectations, and in a way the struggles of Torgelson, although he's picked it up a little bit, does have, like, okay, so Tigers really need Riley to be, like, an MVP, which is kind of unfair expectations to place on anyone, but uh, a lot of hope tied up in that kid. You're you're not wrong at all. So speaking of Torque, uh, he is he's batting 325 plate appearances. That's three walks and four strikeouts as well. He's got one home run. I think one home run. Uh, do you remember during the 2020 like prime? No, excuse me, 2016 primary process when uh, Jeb Bush was, like, speaking to, like, a crowd, and he, like, kind of delivered a line that he thought would, like, warrant, like, an applause or whatever, and he just kind of slumps his shoulders, and he goes, please clap. So, (laughs) so, Torque is the father of, please work. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so, 
so like the things that you just went into we don't have to necessarily repeat them but he, he's not all hope because i i think riley just has a flair that like i think people gravitate a little bit to more also outfielder as opposed to first baseman you know and and so and he was drafted you know before torkelson so i think I, that's why i went with all hope for him and 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 torque was like please work like he's the father of please work torkelson was a 1-1 pick man Sometimes when he misses those fastballs down the middle, I'm just kind of like, I don't want to deal with the, is Torque a bust? And some guy on Twitter accused me of like thinking Torque is a bust. I don't. I continue to say I think he's going to be have a productive big league yes. career. And it, what we've seen from him the last, the last week or so, pretty encouraging. It's really all you could ask for after what's been a difficult year. He squared up some balls. He's been on time. I'm not exactly sure what's changed mechanically that's, that's allowing that, but that's the most encouraging thing to me, he's been on time, not late on the fastball, not late on seemingly every pitch. That's huge. I want to continue to see more from him. Um, yeah, but right, please work. I don't want to have to catch up with Spencer <laughs> Torkelson in ten years and be like the the one one pick that wasn't. And I don't I don't think it's going to be that bad. The guy he's showing it right now. It's in there. Just got to continue to unlock it. He's he's not the first person to have a difficult rookie year. Um, Look, fair to question when he really struggles. When he misses fastballs down the middle, I think that's fair to to point out. You know, we don't have to be we don't have to sugarcoat things. It's been a really bad year that can make you question his his absolute ceiling. But uh let's let's give the guy more time before we start throwing out any bold declarations. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh you need him to be good next year though. You, yeah. you need him to be able to like be your starting first baseman and hit in the middle of the order. You really need that. Yeah, you see that home run that CJ Crone hit earlier this week? <laughs> anyway, uh speaking of one one picks, uh Casey Mize is the father of revisionist history because uh he was a universal universally considered the top pick. I think the Tigers got like, you know, on the draft grades or whatever, they got like a like an A or an A plus or something. It's like Tigers didn't think overthink the room here. They uh they took the consensus number one prospect. Great job or whatever. And and you've talked about it on this podcast in the past about some scouts who had concerns about um his his arm, his throwing motion, and you know this that the other thing. And and also he's sort of like the pinnacle of the rebuild since he was a one one pick. The rebuild uh, centering on pitching. So. Casey Mize, hope he recovers well from Tommy John, and, you know, it's going to be a guy that we're going to forget about just because, you know, that's how it goes, but uh, kind of the father of revisionist history where it's like, do you want to build around pitching? Should he have been the number one overall pick? You know, this, that, the other thing. Uh, it's unfair to him, but that's just kind of the reality of the situation. In uh, defense of the Detroit Tigers, believe it or not, who else are you taking in this draft? Here's the top 10 pick. Joey Bart, eh. Alec Bohm, mm. Nick Madrigal, mm. Jonathan India. He was really good, then, then he was hurt. That's one. Like, would you trade any of these guys straight up? Jared Kelnick, who a lot of people liked, probably would have been the other candidate to go number one. He's looking, his struggles have lasted longer than Torgelson's. Ryan Weathers, Carter Stewart, Kyler Murray, <laughs> Travis Swaggerty. Grayson Rodriguez went 11, you know, then you go down the list, Nolan Gorman at 19, but in, in 
being realistic, I don't know if there's anyone who went in the top 10 of that draft that I would straight up swap for Casey Mize right now. Or a lot of those people, like you would have been, they would have looked at you cross-eyed if, uh, right, if, right. You, if you took, if you took them over my, so like I said, revisionist history sometimes. Uh, Tarek Skubal is the father of, damn it! Like, it, things were getting good! And then, you know, this, what I, I'm always going to misremember the term, like, the flexor surgery. Flexor like, tendon. Flexor tendon, um, which, like we said with Matthew Boy, when it happened to him, it was like, what does that even mean? Uh, <laughs> so, he he looked like he was going to be an all-star, then he kind of dipped, and he was, he was bringing it up, back up, and then, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I can't imagine how Tarek feels, man. He was on the the midst of a really good year. He was on the midst of uh, really strengthening his case to get paid when he's ar- arbitration eligible, mm-hmm. which he still can. But imagine if he had two full strong seasons under his belt. Uh, no, spot on with that. Don't have much more to add. Wish wish Tarek were not hurt, and then missing him for most likely part of next season is a huge bummer as well. Javi Baez is the father of magic. Now you think, oh, that's a cop-out. No. He's the father of magic because what is magic, actually? It's BS. (laughs) 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 So... So, you know, it's, uh, look, I'm, I'm more favorable about Javi Baez than I think 99% of Tigers fans. And I'm not sitting here saying that they're wrong. They're just, they're just things that happen that make me want to hang on to like the hope of the player he could still be. Um, but the evidence is mounting against me here. And every time he has a throwing error, every time, you know, he swings at a slider low and away, it's like, God. This, mag- this magic show is <laughs> so. Yeah, we we just haven't seen as many magical moments. There've been a few of them. This was always bias. You were always going to get the strikeouts. You were always going to get some some let's quote unquote lazy errors in the field. You were going to get some head scratching moments. You were supposed to get more of the magic on top of that, and we haven't seen a lot of it. Uh, and then the more this mounts, like. Why are you getting picked off? He got picked off at first base while adjusting his batting gloves off the back. And it's like, <laughs> I hate to be the guy. Oh, back in my day, we, you know, he's not a fundamental player, but like some of this stuff is inexcusable. The Tigers have not. Uh, the Tigers have just put up with it. Seems like they're just kind of throwing their hands up. Seems like AJ's just kind of throwing his hands up. I think Bias can come back next year and hit the ball better. Like, I don't think. It's quite as bad as it seems, but uh, like without the good moments, it makes the bad moments look really, really bad. Harder to tolerate, for sure. Definitely. This was one of my favorites. Joe Jimenez, father of past and future closers. I still think there's a closer in there, man. <laughs> he, might, he might be right. He <laughs> I might think be right. Because like, like, that, game, that game that I went to, Soto... Looks amazing for like two batters, and then gives up a hit or a walk, like all these things. It's almost tied up. And who comes in to save the day on the white horse? Joey <laughs> Jimenez, baby. Uh, and I was sitting right above the bullpen, so I was like watching him warm up and all that stuff. And I was just like, you know, he just kind of seems like he's an like an engaging guy. He seems like he was, you know, like you know, teammates liked him or whatever. I know it was just a very limited viewing. I'm on the locker rooms and stuff, but. Uh, and, and then he comes in and shuts the door and I'm <laughs> talking to my wife. I was like, yeah, that guy was an all-star like 
four years ago or whatever, you know? <laughs> um, so I was like, I just think it's still in there. So he was the closer. And depending if what happens with Soto and, you know, that's going to be an interesting decision to make either the off season or next trade deadline. I know, you know, uh, Jimenez is up against it as we get, you know, free agency in a couple of years, I believe. Uh, I just think there's a closer in there. I don't know. I just think there's still a closer in there. I mean, let's go revisionist history here. If the Tigers had traded Gregory Soto at the deadline, I think you could feel fine about Joe Jimenez closing games for you right now and the rest of this season. Maybe that changes a little bit if you're really a contending team in the mix. But Joe's having a great year. He's throwing the ball well. He's uh, reminding people why the Tigers kept him this past year based on the underlying metrics. They thought he was going to get better. He's done it. Props to Joe, who really has battled through a lot of ups and downs mm-hmm. and right now is is riding a little bit of a prolonged uh, prolonged up streak right here. We will see what the future holds for Joe. But again... Man, if I'm another team, I'm trying to trade for Joe Jimenez. We've been saying it. I'm trying to go get this dude. Yeah. Go, like, puzzles me why it has not happened. For Eduardo Rodriguez, I wrote down that he is the father of the automatic arm. I just, like, you know, he came, like we talked about earlier, he came back from his absence and it was just like, phew, just, he's just, he's just a professional pitcher. Just goes about his business, knows what to do, knows how to attack hitters. It's just, it's not like, over the top overwhelming or anything like that but he's just automatic arm you know just could be a really steady presence in the in the pitching staff uh if his mental health and his personal life stuff uh you know hopefully improves and through the offseason into next season just the automatic arm not wrong not wrong there for drew hutchinson i i said he's the uh father of unsung heroes really because like uh that was a guy for basically the extent of his Tigers tenure. I was just kind of like, oh, God, like, I'm going to put the game on. I'm going to watch and all that stuff. But I'm just like, Drew Hutchinson's on the mound. Cool, I guess. <laughs> but but we, he deserves his flowers, man. Because he, he started that, again, I go keep going. All these things tie back to the game I went to. He started that Sunday game. And again, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get to watch this pitcher or that pitcher and and it just worked out in the rotation that, you know, it was going to be Drew Hutchinson. I was like, ah, Drew Hutchinson. But no, nah, man, the guy, the guy's a professional pitcher, man. And think about how depleted this staff would be if he didn't have the ability to throw this guy out there every fifth game, you know, every fourth game or whatever. Like, it, he's not going to blow you away with his numbers, four ERA, two and seven win loss if you're into that thing, sort of thing. But 14 starts and has eaten up a solid amount of innings. He gets people out. I mean, I credit to Drew for, again, being one of those steady forces in a season of chaos. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Completely unsung, underrated. Drew Hutchison last year had a 2.11 ERA for the Tigers. Crazy to think of. They, br- they wow. bring back, he's been let go. And brought back like three different times this season. <laughs> yeah. That can't be easy mentally. You know, that's got to yeah. be taxing. Mm-hmm. He's a 408 ERA. He's a 3.91 ERA. And I think his last last 10 games, his ERA in August was amazing. He has eaten some innings, provided some starts. And not going to get any credit for it. He'll probably get let go again. He'll probably get signed to some minor league deal by someone else. That's the business. It's a tough business. But uh, this dude's persevered. And 
and uh, deserves, I don't know, some kind of props, just at least recognition and respect for the work he's put in. Just mentioned him, uh, mentioned him just a second ago, but Gregory Soto, father of roller coasters, uh, <laughs> that, that I guess it wasn't technically, uh, yeah, well, a blown save in that game that I went to, which, uh, you know, the Tigers are up 9-1, to and he's just kind of chilling there in the, in the bullpen, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling my wife, I was like, yeah, he can just go ahead and, you know, relax he ain't he ain't coming in or whatever you know and then home run home run base hit error um javi Baez was taken out of the game aj thought it was in the in the bag you know and and then soto has to go in there and he's throwing gas he's throwing gas he gets a couple people out then it's like walk hit batter and, you know same thing uh what was it wednesday this week uh against the angels where he you know gets like two uh, two strikeout strikes out mike trout and shohei and yeah. and then i think he like hit a batter or walked two batters or something like that and then he had the and then he got another strikeout i was just like this guy is just one big roller coaster you know uh and he's so exciting but it's it, it's also you're on the edge of your seat with him it's like do you necessarily feel the most confident if this was like you know divisional round or wild card or you know clinch game you feel confident, but you also uh, there's a little uneasiness there. So I don't, I don't know. During the off season, we have to like inspect his ceiling or whatever. You know, can some of that stuff kind of be brought up? I don't know, but uh, but yeah, he's just one big roller coaster. It's fun. I mean, that's, it's exhilarating. That's the obvious. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's bad. I still think it's better than it sometimes looks. And because he's the closer, everyone's always looking to replace the closer um just given the the his whip his walk rate etc like in the fact he's not been striking out batters although he then he strikes out Trout and Otani so what does <laughs> anyone know about this game like I wonder if he's still seventh eighth inning guy on a, a good team but um I mean what else is there to say this is the Soto experience we get to witness it and and every now and then he reminds you why he's still the closer because he can be really really good sometimes Tucker Barnhart is the father of what are you going to do a catcher? And we've talked about that a lot. We don't necessarily have to expand on it, but it's just like, what are you going to do a catcher? Father of what are you going to do a catcher? Kind of of the similar ilk. Ryan Kreidler is the father of take it. Can you, can, can you just take, take a role here right now? So we don't have to worry about, we have one less thing to worry about. Just, 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 just take it. Take it, take it, father of take it, Ryan Kreidler, and uh, and uh, again, kind of similarly, uh, Carrie Carpenter is the father of just do it. Like we, like if if he was bef- what he's doing right now, if it was Daz Cameron, what would the hype level be? You know what I mean? Mm, if it was Daz Cameron like two years ago, it would have been pretty. Yeah, nice. yeah, that's what I mean. Like like our first yeah. glimpse or whatever, yeah. and. Uh, Again, another person that just kind of like assessed, you know, down the line or whatever. But you know, good for him. He's had some nice moments. He, you know, he had a home run in that Angels game, that, that comeback. So, uh, you know, like I said, good for him. He's doing enough Opposite to keep himself field. in the conversation. Yeah, and he and hit it, two hits against lefties uh, Friday night. Like he's doing some things here. I, I think there's still going to be doubts, questions. He's not going to be like penciled in on the roster, but he's he's like being like. Really, I'm not part of your plans here. Like, really, you're mm-hmm. not going to give me a shot next spring training. Like, he's he's keeping himself in the mix. Props to him. 
Yeah, yeah. More credit to him. Uh, Alex Lang is father of turtlenecks because uh, I just I just think he needs to. There needs to be like some sort of sponsorship deal where he uh, gets. They like sell turtlenecks at like the store, and you know it's got like laying on it or whatever. I think I think there's some market. We give out marketing that ideas. Could, that that could be a great marketing tool. That's another thing. If the Tigers were like good in the postseason, you'd be you'd be seeing people you know at the games just wearing Alex Lane turtlenecks. <laughs> Absolutely, you would. I, I think I think there's there's a lot of opportunity there uh, for Jamer Candelario, um, father of the House of Flavor. Because if you go to the candy store, there's some flavors that are like awesome, and then there's like, ugh, God, that is disgusting. Who came up with that? Uh, just, just another way of saying he's like an up and down player. <laughs> some flavors. Yeah, are, nothing else. Nothing it, else to add there. We've we've seen it and talked about it for too mm-hmm. long. Uh, this one is probably gonna be harsh, but uh, for Miguel Cabrera, I said he was the father of. Uh, borrowed time it's we again we don't have to elaborate we, we talked about that ad nauseum we're gonna have to continue to talk about it but it's uh it's just it's it's the big it's the big cloud hanging over this franchise is how is this exit going to go and when uh, I guess that time's not borrowed he's under contract for that time tigers ain't getting <laughs> it back so that's, yeah yep and uh, we could probably wrap up with this one. Uh, Andrew Chafton, I said he's the father of beauty is only skin deep. Uh, because he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily look the part, but he's effective. He goes about his business. Another sort of like the automatic arm element. Uh, amidst all these like great athletes who spend all this money on their body and all that stuff. And here's this farmer who's just like never hurt really and just is always always available so you know what's really impressed me about chafing this year in addition to like drinking root beer and beer <laughs> and eating twinkies and going out and performing he's an athlete man he can field his position he like can. he's quick like he can make some athletic plays uh he's one of the better athletes you know in terms of the the, the pitching staff chafing's all chasing chafing's a fun guy to have on the team man now that we've had him around a full year I don't know if he'll be back, but he's just like a fun dude to have around. I'll tell you what, uh, seeing him and uh, Foley in the bullpen, you know, their little interactions and and uh, Chapin, I think he, I think he got ready in ninety seconds, like, <laughs> like, like he was just he like took off his jacket, threw a couple pitches, and all right, you're in, and he just like went out there. It's <laughs> just like. It was, awesome. it was it was a, it was a lot of fun to watch, um, and so yeah, hopefully people got a kick out of that little little gimmick. Uh, try to have fun here, especially as we get to the end of the season and and all these things. And obviously, wanted to respect Cody's time for doing this podcast, even though he is technically off. So, uh, anything you wanted to add, Cody? Anything you wanted to plug? No, no, I think we're good here. All right. Um, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation, baseball at large, and then you know some stuff with the, the GM search. Uh, won't be the last time, obviously, we talk about this. Please follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Please subscribe to The Athletic if you have not already. There's some good stuff coming down the pike there. 
And please subscribe to this podcast, Apple, Spotify, five-star review if you feel so inclined. So for Coach David Hagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have an amazing week. Thank you.